Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Acts chapter number one. Acts chapter number one. While you're turning, for those of you, and I hope it's most of you, following along with the church-wide reading plan that we're doing, I've updated the handouts for you. Not to confuse you, it's the same reading plan, but instead of those multiple memory verses, it just has the one on there that we're focusing on each week. And it also is dated, so you don't have to figure out, look at a map, do the calendar and say, which, which one is week six and what's week 10 and what's week, it's just dated. So hopefully that's easier for you. Grab one on the way out. And uh, if you're like me, I like checking things off. It's probably a, something I need to have examined, uh, but uh, I feel an, uh, something wrong if I don't get to check something off. So I put little check bubbles on there for you so you can feel extra spiritual as you're reading through the Bible together. There's, uh, there's something about being unified in the Word as the body of Christ. So grateful that you're here this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab that Pew Bible or join us online. You can go to the Bible app. The sermon notes are built into there as well. And uh, I hope it'll be a blessing to you. Let's pray. Almighty God, most merciful Father, we submit ourselves now to your Word. We fall down before your majesty. We ask you from the bottom of our hearts that this seed of your word that is about to be sown among us would take such deep root that neither the burning heat of persecution would cause it to wither nor the thorny cares of this life choke it out. But the seed would be sown in good ground and bring forth 30, 60, 100 fold as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. What a privilege, Lord, to gather one more time to sing, to pray, to read, to sit under the preaching of your word, to rejoice, and to go and leave this place on mission for you. Thank you, Lord. We ask these in your name. Let the church say amen. Two weeks ago, we looked at the personal implications of living out the Great Commandment and the Great Commission kind of married together. We talked about, well, three weeks ago, actually, two weeks ago we were shut down, so three weeks ago. It was the second Sunday of January. Who is my neighbor? The question was asked of an attorney, a, 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 Le- a Levite there, a, a, someone who was skilled in the law, talking to Jesus. What's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength in Luke chapter number 10. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the Bible says that that attorney, that that person schooled in the law said, well, well, now wait a minute, who's my neighbor? He was looking for a way to excuse himself. He was looking for a way out. Jesus then gives the good Samaritan. We talked about that. Well, if that's the case, if that's my neighbor, then everybody's my neighbor. And we talked about how difficult it is if everybody's the target, then sometimes we don't really ever do anything for anybody. It's, it's difficult. It, it, he never meant to skip our literal neighbors. I gave you that little um, neighboring, the art of neighboring handout, that neighboring map that we have together to fill that out, to figure out who your eight neighbors are around you. Why? Why would you do that? Well, it's just good to do. It's part of our mission for God putting us where he put us, according to the Bible. We'll get to that in a moment. But it's also a great way for us to learn to pray for our neighbors. In fact, second Sunday of February will have been a month since we 
preach that message. I'm going to ask you to bring those little things back. If you've lost yours already, it's okay. I know. It's a judgment-free zone right now. But there's some extra ones in the back if you need another one. We're going to come up front at the end of the service, and we're going to pray for our neighbors by name and ask the Lord to open doors of opportunity for us to be a blessing to them and to be able to shine bright for Jesus. You see, if we're ambassadors for Christ, we talked about the fact that our homes are like embassies for the kingdom and God strategically planted us, even for a season, even if you were just in town for a moment. If you're a Christian, God placed you here for a purpose. In Acts 17, the Bible says he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, and he determined the periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. He did this, the Bible says, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. But he's actually not far from each one of us. God put you where he put you so you would seek God and so that your neighbors would seek God. He loves you that much. God loves you that much that he's included you in his plan to reach the nations. God's desire is that you and I would seek him. God's desire is that you and I would be a part of our neighbors also coming to seek him. That Christ would be the hub of every home in our neighborhood, in Charlotte, on the globe. That's the individual responsibility we talked about that each of us have, young and old, fully engaged member or Christian who's just passing through this morning to check the place out. You're still an ambassador for Christ, and I hope that you're encouraged this morning in that regard. We talked about that great commandment being so broad, but it needs to be specific as well that we actually love our neighbor. Now, here's my question this morning. What about us? What about Grace Covenant? You see, most of the New Testament is written to or about the local church from Acts to Revelation. What can we, little old us, as we'd say in the South, I guess little old blessed us, as we'd say in the South, what can we do to reach South End? Get some, put a laser show out on in front of the church and smoke and, you know, have some, I don't know. That's not, y'all hired the wrong pastor for that. I don't know how to do any of that. What can we do? I mean, have you seen South End lately? Look around. I was here when the Frost girls were back on the property for the first time after being gone for a year and some change. They walked back. They stepped out of their dad's vehicle. They looked over to the Lowe's Technology Building, which was not here when they left, and they went. And you know what I did? I was like, yeah, that's right. And then I looked. I was like, oh, they've gotten more done since I was gone been a week. That's up. You've seen the ground cleared. I was at the groundbreaking for the 24-story building they're going to build right behind us called 110 East. I attended that groundbreaking breaking this week, and I have to report to you. Um, I, you've heard me mention the name Styles before. Just as an aside, Mr. Styles, Ken Styles, was there to do the ceremony, and he walked up to me and he said, are you the pastor of that church? And I thought, oh, here we go. Maybe. No, I said yes. I said yes, I am. And he said, they've done nothing. Everybody we've talked to has done nothing but talk about what great neighbors you all have been through this whole process. Praise God for that. We'll pray we leverage that for the gospel. Amen. But we've got South End changing at a rapid pace. South End is changing all around us. They're building uh, buildings all around. South End is changing commercially. It's also changing demographically too. But at the end of the day, South End is our neighborhood. 
this area, this part of Charlotte. And if we're going to endeavor to have an impact one home at a time, how in the world will little old us do that? Well, I think we have not only the mission, but we've got some means and methodology and even some mapping here from Jesus that I think will be helpful to us. Let's look at the text. Now, as we talk about studying God's word, we've done this before. When you're studying yourself, you make observation. You just look at the text and see what it says. It always says what it means to say. And then sometimes you've got to dig and do some interpretation. What does this mean in light of broader texts and anything that's going on? Some passages, you need a lot of that. Some you don't need as much. And then we come to the text, we come to the thing at the final end, and we say, what's the application? What's there? Is there a command for me to obey, a sin for me to avoid? It's wrong for us to come to the Bible and say, what's in this for me? That's not a good starting place. <laughs> That's not where you start. It gets you in trouble a lot of times. So let's just see what's going on here. And first, I'd have you note on the side, it may even be in your headers, the ascension of Jesus Christ. So we look at verse 6. They've all gathered together. Before Jesus ascends up to the clouds, look, he's told them he's going. He said, I'm going away. And the disciples come up next to him, and what do they say? There's this colossal misunderstanding. If I was taking a few little subnotes, that's what I'd write. This misunderstanding is the first one. They're like, okay, Lord, so you're going somewhere. Are you going to go get your stuff and come back and set up your kingdom? That's what you open with, Jeremy. You, you're, gonna, you, you're just going to the house to get like, your, your laptop or something so we can get this thing launched. And Jesus, I don't know that he dropped his head. I just can't imagine he wouldn't go. <laughs> no, that's, that's not what this is. We pick up in uh, the, the text there. Jesus says, look, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He, he basically is saying, look, you, you're, you're pointing the right way, but you're focused on the wrong thing. You're all caught up in, in something that I'm telling you is not what's going on right now. And I just want to warn you, I don't want to get to too much application, but it's right here in front of us. It's possible to be in the very presence of Jesus. It's possible to be locked in on all things Christianity and be focusing on the wrong thing. Good things but to be focused on the wrong thing. The New Testament is full of warnings about that. Titus 3 says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Have you ever met somebody who was a Christian whose spiritual gift was contrarianism? <laughs> right? They had that, their, their first response to every conversation is, actually, <laughs> right? They just ooze you wanting to be around them. They're the person you want being the greeter, right? Right? That's not what we're talking. We're, we're to avoid those kind of things. You gotta let some stuff go and just let it slide. If it's not gospel central, I mean, if it's not compromising the gospel or the authority of scripture or the supremacy of Christ, sometimes you can do one of these things. Hmm. Anyway, uh, don't get into it about everything. Avoid these things. Later on in the New Testament, the Bible says, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We're not trying to read the, the, the currents and figure out, wait, now, is this the time that he's coming back? Is he, is he coming back now? Is he? Listen, live every day like the eastern sky is about to split open with the king of glory calling the church home. Live each day like you want to find him living for his return. 
But don't get so focused on end times, eschatology stuff, that you become unusable in the work of the Lord in the here and now. Jesus said, no, 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 you're focused on the wrong thing. Here's what is going to happen. Here's what's important, Acts 1-8, back in the text. He says, but you, he takes the attention off of him. He says, but you, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And, say it, church, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I preach this text one of the time. Pastor Dee's preached this text multiple times. If your churches ever talk about missions or serving in missions, this text comes up as it should. It both describes what happened here and it prescribes fantastic methodology for the New Testament church. Jesus unpacks the mission here. What's the mission? Watch me, church. It's this. Number one, be filled with the Spirit. Number two, be my witnesses, not just as an activity, it's a state of being. Be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because you don't have the power within you. I've got a newsflash for you, brother or sister in Christ. I've got a newsflash for you, friend who's not yet come to know the Lord as personal Savior and Master and Sovereign King over your life. You are not enough. I know there are preachers in Charlotte that say the contrary, but based on what I see in Scripture from beginning to end, we are a needy people. But thank God we have a Heavenly Father that loves us so much, He provides all of our needs according to His riches in and through Christ Jesus. You're not enough. We can't strategize this thing. Listen to me. If we just start with strategy, we will strategize it to death, not life. The South End doesn't need another program. They need to meet the King of Glory. Be filled with the Spirit. Be my witnesses. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Be my witnesses in all Judea. At this point, the disciples are trekking with him. They're going, yes, awesome. Yep, Jerusalem's right here. We were going there anyway. Judea, yep, a little bit further out. They're just like us. All's well. We're with you. Then he says, and Samaria. They go, whoa, hmm. Now, we've seen you do that. We know the parable you taught and all that, so we'll do it, Lord, because it's you, right? But they're not like us, right? They're near us, but they're not like us. And to the ends of the earth. At that time, all they knew was the Roman Empire, to the ends of the Roman Empire. But Jesus didn't say to the end of the known world. He didn't say to the end of the Roman Empire. He said to the ends of the earth. Side note, you flat earthers, that's not a proof text for you. Just put that out there. But to the end of the earth, to the whole world, take the gospel, He means everywhere, all the time, and as you are going. It's all of the above. This is not just a New Testament thing. The Bible says in Psalms 22, 27, the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And watch this. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise as some men count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will is for the nations to call on him. God's will is for families to have Christ as the hub of their homes. Single adults, married couples, big families, little families, Christ as the hub. 
So there's the mission and the means or the method or the mapping is built into that too. He talks about this, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In fact, if you follow that, you'll see that kind of is the way Acts is set up. I'll get to that in just a moment. Let's go back here and just recap what's happening. As we go, while we're going, as the disciples are going, God wants them to make disciples. He wants them to make disciples who make disciples. He names these regions and these people groups on purpose. It's all of them at the same time. Verse 9, Jesus said these things, and then can you imagine? He's lifted up out of their sight, and they stand there gazing. Now, I'm always curious about the timeline in here, because right in the next verse, verse 10, these two men robed in white show up, and they say, why are you still gazing into the heavens. Well, now, hold on a minute. I just saw the king of glory go up. I think I'm going to hang out a minute. Like, slow your roll, angels, for just a second. Crick in my neck. I mean, think about how we get cricks in our neck at Ted's and Susan's when those awesome fireworks go off. Like, it's amazing. It's better than local cities I've been to. It's just the best fireworks around. Best kept secret in the Charlotte region doesn't happen in Charlotte. It happens in the Midland. Fall fest. Anyway, sorry. But we're sitting there in chairs just going, oh, it's better than it was last year. And we sit and he's done. And nobody's rushing up. They're just talking about the fireworks, explosions that almost catch us on fire sometimes. It's amazing. The disciples here are gazing in the heavens and these angels show up and say, get to it. Don't be here anymore. Verse 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. I got to tell you, if I read that verse, that's not a reason for me to leave. Like he said, he's going to come back the way it is. I go, I know, that's why I'm standing here looking. I'm a slow guy. I don't pick it all up very quickly. And they get it. They're like, all right, it's time to get on with the business. It's time to get on with the business of the great commission and the great commandment. Hang with me now. Jesus says, I want you to go. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all these things say go. We've got the Great Commission all throughout the New Testament. We've got the ascension, Jesus going up into heaven. The angel saying, why are you still here? And now I want you to focus on, this is remarkable to me. You've read this text so many times. But I want you to look at the response of the disciples that shook the neighbors and the nations. I want you to look at how they responded. They responded in obedience And they began immediately to fulfill the Great Commission. But it's going to shock you. You heard it read earlier, and it might have passed right over you, as it had me for years in my early Christian walk. Take your Bibles and look at them. Let's look in verse 13. Let's just read the text and see what happens. And when they had entered, they left now where they were. They went up to the upper room where they were staying. Now, that upper room is a room built on the top of their abode, sometimes open, sometimes partially closed, but structured a bit differently than the rest of the house, okay? So they go up to the upper room. Then there's the names of everybody that's there. Picks up in verse 14. All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to strategizing. No, were devoting themselves to committee meetings. No, were devoting themselves to, say it, church, prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. You say, well, why would it say, what's important about saying together with the women if it says all of them? This is just proof that this is authored and authentic because listen, in the day, 
Uh, if this were written just kind of made up on the fly, you would never, because of the day and age, you just wouldn't include that kind of subtext on people groups. You wouldn't say, and the women. You just wouldn't say that. I mean, it's just proof. Like, you're asking for a fight among the Jewish community when you say, and the women were there praying too. This was for everybody to be engaged this. Was, this was no respecter of persons kind of work. They got together and they prayed. They, they went to a place, watch this. What's the first work here? They go to a place to start the work of the Great Commission. They devote themselves to prayer. Everyone, the men are leading in the charge of prayer, which unfortunately is not the case today in most churches. The women are there right with them. Everybody, everybody's there. Everybody's praying. There's so much here. If you read the rest of the book of Acts, when I was studying this, I was like, I was so wanting to keep going in Acts and and just do a, a study of Acts and a series in Acts. But for the sake of this morning, you can go back and read what happens later on. It's quite remarkable that in the context of these verses, the nations are reached, but the first work of reaching the nations is the work, not preparation, but the work of prayer. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, go to Samaria, and go to the ends of the earth. Let me show you how Acts breaks down. On the next slide, you'll see it. Here's the way Acts breaks down. Chapters 1 through 7, they're in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 9, they're in Judea and Samaria. Chapters 10 through 28, they're in the ends of the earth. Remarkable how they walked in obedience, but their first work of obedience was the work of prayer. Listen, this text is easy to observe here. There's very little needed in the way of interpretation. It's pretty straightforward. But before we get to the application, can I tell you where my mind wanders? Do you remember when Jesus showed up? It's one of these rare pictures we have of Jesus. It's quite unique in the Bible. He goes to the temple and he gets, in the south we'd say, he gets sideways pretty quick. He goes to the temple and finds that they've turned the temple into something else. It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. That's before this text came. So this is Old Testament stuff. God had established this for the zealousness of his cause, the house would be a house of prayer for all nations. He goes in, he sees they've turned it in, they're trying to make money and profit on all these things and they're trying to take advantage of people for sacrifices and there's so much chaos and confusion and it's lost, the, the, the power of prayer and the presence of prayer and the priority of prayer and the heart of God is missing because the church is so busy doing other things it has no business doing and Jesus turns over the money tables and he turns over the changers, gets a whip out and begins to whip at things. This is our sweet, gentle, kind, humble Savior getting sideways. Why? Because the mission of the gathered people of God, the assembled people of God, prayer had been pushed to the side, had been supplanted by the works of the flesh. He's saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer. The first work of the gathered community in the New Testament, post-resurrection, fulfilling the Great Commission, They gathered and prayed. Here's the question this morning, application. What is our mission? Most of the New Testament I mentioned to you is written to or about the local church. I'll say it simply. I love the way that the elders coined this and put it on the Grace Covenant uh, founding documents. It's still there on the website today. The local church exists for worship, evangelism, and discipleship. There's a lot more you can say but you can't say less than that. Worship, evangelism, 
and discipleship. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to me. The local church is not a club for you to hang out in. If you're a Christian, the local church is not a volunteer organization where membership is optional for you. If you're a Christian, the local church is not a friendly group of people who share an interest in religious things and gather weekly to discuss the divine. If you're a Christian, the local church is not a service provider where the customer is king and has all the authority. No, the local church is the authority on earth that Christ established himself to officially affirm and give shape to your Christian experience and mine and to accomplish the mission of spreading the gospel. That's what the local church is. It is the means by which neighbors and nations are reached with the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a called out and assembled group of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who see one another, who serve one another, and who do all they can to set one another up to make disciple-making disciples. I thought it was just a place to go and be quiet for an hour. It's so much more than that. That's our mission, to be what the Bible says we're supposed to be. Well, then who are our neighbors? I gave it away. This spoiled it early on in the message. Three weeks ago, we talked about our individual, my neighbors, you ambassadors, but we come together here we're an assembled people here when Pastor D and Dr. Hall and some of the others began to dream about and pray about and began that prayer work and that missional work of assembling Grace Covenant some 31 years ago. They didn't just grab a handful of darts with a map of the United States and go, I wonder where we'll go. No. There was a strong sense that the Lord was calling them to the Myers Park, South End area of Charlotte, North Carolina. Why? Because it needed another church just like everything else? No. They wondered what would happen if a group of believers would assemble and actually preach the Bible to stand on its own two legs, believe the Bible for what it is, strip away all of the branding and the noise and the commercialism and just do their best to keep church simple, focused on worship, evangelism, and discipleship. And that's what we're doing here today. That's why we're assembled here. But here's the deal. We are assembled here, <laughs> right in the heart of Charlotte's South End. God called us here. He put you there in your apartment, in your neighborhood, but he called us here. And South End thinks we are their neighbors. And they're right. We are. This is our neighborhood. Now, I don't know how well these will show up this morning on the screen, but I'll provide them to you if you want to see them later because we get a little washed out with the sun here sometimes. But we have 13,526 people that live within a three-minute drive of this church. That's a lot of neighbors, y'all. Little old us. What's little old us going to do with that many people? Hang on just a minute. 13,526 neighbors within a three-minute drive. That's a reasonable walking distance to the church. By 2024, they're projecting that number will be over 16,000. They'll have to. They've got to put somebody in those apartments, right, Dr. Hall? 
46% of these people are between the ages of 20 and 40. But here's the deal. Every single one of these precious fellow image bearers needs Jesus. Regardless of their age, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of how long they're in South End, if it's temporary transit or permanent dwelling. 45%, this is the next image, of those people rarely attend religious service. So the biggest, darkest block, if you can see it on the very top, those are the people that rarely attend religious services. Another 19% indicate they only occasionally attend. We call those the Christers, right? Christmas and Easter's. I think it was uh, Craig that coined the phrase, the CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. I was two years here, Pastor Dave, before I figured out what that meant. I thought that every year y'all had like CEO, there was some kind of CEO gathering at Grace. He's like, Grace, like, CEOs will be here today. And I'm like, oh, I didn't get my tie. I didn't know who, oh, CEOs of what? Yeah, just wait and see. I, two years before I was like, oh, I told you, not always, not always tracking. What does that tell us though? That tells us that a majority of our neighbors are disconnected from a Bible preaching, gospel revealing church community. Again, what are we going to do about that? Here's another fact that you might be interested in. There are 1,643 businesses in that same thing, and they bring in 14,000 plus employees on a regular basis. That's a lot of people. Look around. The church is, I mean, the camera shot. Nobody online believes anybody comes here because the first three rows are always empty and they're always in the shot. I promise there are people around. They're awesome. I'm going to start giving, like, I'm going to start hiding gifts under the first three rows. Y'all should know I'm serious. I'm going to start hiding gifts in the first row that they can't get to until after service, so they'll be there. But um, there's a lot of people. It's a great crowd this morning. I'm looking forward to that. Love to see more people here. But still, if we were packed, about 200 capacity, how are we going to make a tent? In that kind of number, what's the goal here? How will we reach them? That's the question. Well, Jesus gave us our orders. The Great Commission are our orders. We're called to go and make disciples. That sounds great, Pastor Chad. We're called to go and preach the gospel to all creation. Okay, Pastor Chad, that's amazing. That's not my gift, right? That's not how I'm wired. But then Jesus gave us a good method for mapping in Acts 1.8. He told us just to be his witnesses. And when he said that, the disciples that had been with him and watched him move and walk in ministry had watched him heal the sick and raise the dead and open the blinded eyes and cause the lame to leap for joy. The disciples that had seen him do these things knew that what he meant by that before they tore out to do anything was they needed to pray. You, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. So what do we learn from this incredible account this morning? What if our first work as a church family of reaching the South End today was one of the last things that Jesus said before he left? What if one of his last instructions we made as one of our first works? What if we as closely as possible, try to match and obey and implement the strategy we see right here. What if spirit-filled prayer marked our hearts for South End? Spirit-filled prayer is the hallmark in the beginning of every movement of God. Remember the action of disciples. They didn't go pray to get ready to be obedient to the Great Commission. They prayed as the first work of the Great Commission. Again, processes. Jesus says, I'm going to do something amazing. And the disciples say, let's go pray. 
What's the first recorded activity of the early Christian community? Prayer. You and I will miss the Spirit moving if we don't pray. How did 120 wounded, rough, uneducated, insecure, vulnerable people shake their neighbors and the nations for the glory of God? They got on mission and they got in one mind, united in prayer. Grace Covenant, we're going to be witnesses for God in South End. We're going to be as witnesses as we pray. We're going to be as witnesses as we pray and go to our neighbors in the South End. So what do we do? What can Grace Covenant do? What can little old us, about to be totally flanked by 24-story buildings, do to reach the South End? Do we really long to see Christ become the hub of every home around us? It's a big vision. It's a lot of people. We're a small church, but we serve a big God. I believe that God will greatly use our efforts for his glory, and it starts with prayer, and it continues with prayer, and it never finishes, but it's sustained by prayer. We can do nothing without the empowerment of the Spirit, but we can only be empowered by the Spirit as we commit ourselves to walk in obedience to his word. I'm inviting you to join me in reaching the south end as we pray and go. Here's the short snippet version as the application. In the coming days, we're going to go in groups of two into the south end surrounding neighborhoods around us. We're not going door knocking. Some of you old school like, this is door knocking. It's not door knocking, okay? We're not doing that. We're going to walk down these roads and we're going to pray for these homes, these apartment complexes. We're gonna figure out to the best of our ability, like we're going to look at the home, we're going to pray for the home. I've got some things that will help us pray, but we're going to go and pray for our neighbors. We're going to believe God that the Holy Spirit will lead us in prayer for our neighbors. We're not knocking on doors. We're not trying to start conversations yet. We're not just going to wing it either. We've got a plan. We've got a strategy. We've got tools to help us track where we're going so we know what we're doing. But we're going to walk these streets. And we're going to pray for these people in our homes. Why? Because we can't do anything flashy here. Don't want to. Not interested. We're not going to do a gimmick or a campaign or a branding thing and try to read people. No, we want to stick to the Bible. So we ought to pray. We're going to pray and go. It's not an invite to church we're going to leave with people. We're going to leave a door hanger on some of the doors that we're able to that says, Today, we pray for you. If you've got a specific prayer request, email us at prayerteam at gracecovenantcharlotte.com. We're going to pray for our neighbors. We're going to begin it in the coming days. I need a few key people to take the lead on this. You'll learn about that later this week. There's training and resources and tools, but it's really simple and straightforward. We're going to pray and go and reach our neighbors with the gospel. Church family, we know that a church is not the building, but God has allowed us by his sovereign hand to assemble here in the South End. And they think we're their neighbors, and they're right. I know some of you are only in the South End once a week, some for an hour, some for two hours. Maybe tack on a meal if you can. And when you stop at the meal, ask your server if you can pray for them, and slip, leave a good tip. If you'd leave a bad tip, don't leave a church card, please. (laughs) But leave a good tip. Bless that server and invite them to church. 
just say, hey, I know you're working on a Sunday, but if you ever have a Sunday off, I'd love to meet you at Grace Covenant. We're just right here. If you're up here for any reason, invite somebody. When's the last time you invited somebody to church? And not just, hey, come to church on Sunday. I know you're not going to come. <laughs> I don't even want to be there. But, come on. How about, hey, I'll meet you out front. I'll, we'll grab a coffee afterwards. I'll take you to lunch. Few people turn down free food today. I found that to be the case. We got a lady that'll bake some bread if they'll come, right? Just, just saying, putting that out there. It's not a concept unique to church, but if we want to reach people, guess what? God's given us everything we need to actually reach them. Stay on mission in your neighborhoods. And let's pray go. Julia, you come now to the instruments and let's have a moment of reflection and prayer. I want to remind you that this is not a concept that's new to the New Testament, and it's not the only application of the text. How, what can I take from the text that applies to me even if I don't sign up for this thing? That's not what the text was for this morning. The disciples were standing there looking at Jesus. First, they asked their own question. They were focused on the wrong thing. Jesus lovingly, gently corrected them. And then he ascends into heaven and they're in the presence of Jesus and they're standing there doing nothing. Here's an application for you. Christianity is not a spectator sport. We're not looking for any more pew potatoes. Churches are all stocked up. We need folks who are ready to be about our father's business. The farmer... When he brings the crops in, you know what he doesn't do, Julia? He doesn't open the doors of the barn, stand at the barn entrance and go, all right, crops, you know what to do. Right in there. And if you don't mind, do it in an orderly fashion. <laughs> no. When it's time for the harvest, he goes out into the fields and does the work to bring them in. Let's pray. Father, if we're honest this morning, we think about our neighbors around us and we think, oh, that's so awkward for me to try to go and build a relationship with them and, and begin to talk to them. And I can't imagine talking to them about Jesus, but it's what you've called us to do, Lord. And you'll empower us to do that by your spirit as we seek to serve you and pray for those opportunities. Lord, open the door of opportunity for that to happen this week for all of us. Open hearts, help them to be ready, and then open our mouths to share the hope and the love and the joy that we found only in you. And then the pastor gets up on Sunday morning and says, we've got 13,000 plus people we wanna reach as soon as we can and says, we're gonna pray for them. What in the world, God, how are we gonna do that? By your power, not by our strength. By your might. Lord, we want to be known as a house of prayer for your glory and your honor. 
Lord, this week, would you be so kind as to teach us to pray? We love you. We bless you. We commit our work afresh to you. In Christ's name, amen.